You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be wrapping up our sermon series, Walking Through the Beatitudes, uh, by uh, combining a couple of the, um, the uh, basically the last two um, Beatitudes together. Um, as they are related to each other. And uh, so we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 10, 11, and 12. And then if you want to stick your finger over in, or your little tab or whatever, over into 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, that we're going to jump over to there um, also this morning. Um, if you're wondering in the year 2021 how to pick a fight, uh, just have an opinion. It doesn't matter about what. Uh, you know, I like iPhones better than Androids. Ooh, right? Uh, it, you know, I mean, like, it, it just doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter how trivial the thing is. If you just have an opinion about something, uh, there are going to be people that are going to disagree with you uh, and uh, disagree with you not even necessarily in a polite fashion, right? Uh, we are just, we live in an age of outrage. Uh, where we have to turn to our social media account or our preferred news outlet to find out what is it exactly that we are supposed to be offended by today. Uh, We just don't know what we're supposed to be offended by until somebody tells us what is it? And this doesn't matter if you are far left or far right or in the center or whatever. It's just we, we live in such a way as uh, we, we just can't uh, seem to comprehend the concept of uh, understanding where people uh, are coming from on different things. And oftentimes this conflict as it exists in our day, uh, especially within evangelical Christianity, gets defined as persecution. To have somebody disagree with you uh, and maybe disagree with you by saying uh, not nice words to you gets defined as persecution. And this morning, I want us to reevaluate that and help us understand that that is not persecution. Uh, That persecution is real, that it is something that we, uh, according to the Bible, ought to expect as Christians Um, But people disagreeing with us and even disagreeing with us in an angry fashion is not, in fact, persecution. Take a look with me as uh, Jesus concludes these little snippets, one sentence long um, uh, phrases that each one in turn is its own sermon, its own book, its own library as Jesus unpacks these things in his ministry Uh, to us. Uh, And we said that as we were going through these, these just seem to be incredibly strange because the the term blessed uh, can also be translated happy or uh, uh, a a sentiment as one who ought to be congratulated because of what has happened to you. Uh, So like, hey, congratulations, you're poor. And that just seems very strange to us. It seems absolutely backwards. Or congratulations on mourning. What? These don't seem like they make sense. Happy are you. Uh, Blessed are you because of these events. 
And this is Jesus taking the world that we know to be normal and and, uh, even the world that we long for and turning it on its head, flipping everything uh, around. The the kingdom of God, as it is described in the New Testament, is often described as the upside-down kingdom. It looks absolutely uh, upside-down and different from what we view, what we think is best for us. And if we ruled the world and if we were God for a day, this is how we think it would look like. And Jesus steps in and flips all of that on its head. And Jesus begins in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 by saying this, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. When we take the word persecution, again, we, um, we've seen this term persecution used and popped up in various um, uh, segments of Christianity and the, the tension that exists. One of the ways that I've seen the term persecution um, used in present day culture uh, is in the, um, the present movement of cancel culture as it exists. Um, and depending on which side of the political aisle you land on, uh, you, you probably think that it's the other side that's the only one that does cancel culture, but it is just the prevalent culture of the day in which we live that we have so segmented ourselves out and the idea of having an opinion that disagrees with ours means that I have to shut you down is this um, uh, this prevalent thing that exists in the world. And so that gets... Um, purported as being persecution. But the biblical word persecution that Jesus uses here and throughout the New Testament uh, is a, uh, a term that describes aggressive, painful, persistent pursuit. That's a lot of P's in a definition, but it's aggressive, painful. It is uncomfortable, and there is an aggression, an attack against it, a ill intent on the person doing it towards the person. It is painful in that it does cause not just physical harm, but emotional harm uh, and uh, life-living uh, life kind of harm, the loss of job, the loss of profit, property, the loss of freedom, those kind of things. It is persistent in that it is not a one-time event. It is something that goes on and on and on and persists in time. And finally, it is pursuit. It is uh, not only just aggressive, but there is an intent to continue going forward after it. Aggressive, painful, persistent pursuit. It is not incidental confrontation. It is not one-off events. One-off events are just disagreements or arguments. They are not persecution. Uh, the reason that we emphasize this is that we, I think, in, um, uh, in evangelical culture and Western Christianity, we have a persecution complex. 
Uh, we almost have an idolization of the concept of persecution. And I think that the reason that we have that is we, in our lifetime, have never actually experienced it. We've read about it. We've been in awe of believers who have gone through it. Uh, some of the, you know, the greatest heroes of our Christian faith in the last hundred years have been individuals who have been experienced incredible persecution because of their faith and the actions that they went through. Individuals like Corey Ten Boone, who was uh, a Christian family that housed uh, Jews and, and secretly kept them from the Nazis and protected them. And then they were discovered and her sister was killed and her family was killed. and uh, She just went through incredible hardships. And her story is just awe-inspiring to us, right? Or other individuals that are believers in the faith that were martyred because of their faith. They just stand in awe of us. And I remember um, hearing about... Um, or, uh, you know, early in my Christian walk, early in my uh, Christian journey, a lot of the, in the 1970s and 80s, the, um, uh, the, the tribulation was kind of all the rage within Christian circles. And there were books and there were movies. Uh, and it always emphasized the nature of, um, uh, you know, the, the persecution that was going to happen. But then there was going to be the rapture. And you weren't going to have to experience the, the, the deep pain, the deep sorrow, the, the, the things that were going to take place in that. And the reason that all of that kind of theology really came out is, again, just this, this concept of persecution we have this intellectual understanding of, but we have never experienced it. It's not a part of our normal rhythm. And the reason that I find this really fascinating is that at the same time that we in Western culture have experienced this relative peace of growth in our spiritual life, the majority world church has gone through the biggest persecution in the history of Christianity. We read books like Fox's Book of Martyrs that describes the deaths of saints from hundreds and even over a thousand years ago. Individuals who went into the Roman Colosseum and for their faith were ripped to shreds by, uh, by uh, wild animals who willfully chose to bring their children into the arena with them so that their child would die with them and not be raised in a pagan household and, be, and grow up to be somebody that did not know and love Jesus. And we read those kind of stories and we're just in awe of that. But the part that I think we miss in the reality of persecution is that in the last 100 years, more Christians have been martyred than in the previous 1900 combined. And yet we haven't seen it. Oftentimes persecution, martyrdom, uh, gets talked about in uh, Western Christian circles as, um, you know, we talk about things like China, right? Uh, Christianity was not taking great root pre uh, the communist revolution that took place there. And then when communism put the Iron Curtain down on top of China, we just had no idea. And we thought, man, the church is done there. It's, it's going to be gone. And then when communism began to open up and, and we began to send missionaries into China, we expected to find no believers. But what we found were millions and millions of them that grew under incre incredible persecution and, and tension. And we go, Wow, that's incredible. See, persecution grows the church. But that's not always the case. In the mid-1990s, when Somalia was in its civil war period, 
It was reported that in certain parts of the country, every single Christian was killed. It did not grow the church. Persecution wiped it out from the country. And we have this persecution complex that there's somehow a, uh, a romantic view of it. And I think some of that we have that as we read these words like blessed are those who are persecuted for yours is the kingdom of God. It's the same uh, reward, the same outcome that Jesus says comes from uh, in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you can remember that far back to when we talked about that, the nature of what he's describing there of being poor in spirit is this picture of those that are needy. Right To be poor in spirit means that we are coming before the Father as beggars, as people with open hands, not as haughty, not as arrogant, not as uh, self-entitled, not anything else, just coming before God and saying, God, I'm such, a, I'm such a needy person and everything that I need, I can only come from you. And he says, blessed are those that are poor in spirit because they get heaven and all that it entails. And we glamorize persecution because that's the same outcome of this, right? Blessed are you who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And of course, who doesn't want that, right? So we glamorize this nature of persecution. And so we look for persecution oftentimes anywhere where we think we can find it, and we confuse it for things that are not persecution. And so I want us to look at a couple of things to help us understand what is not persecution or what is not persecution that is right kind of persecution or we can maybe say happy persecution because the definition of aggressive, painful, persistent pursuit as a definition of persecution can happen to people who are not Christians. Like persecution as a thing happens to people that are not Christians too. So what is this happy persecution that we are to be longing for, looking for, and pursuing? Well, Jesus defines this kind of persecution, the kind of persecution that makes us ultimately and completely happy as blessed are you who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Righteousness. right. Action. We said that righteousness is not just good behavior. It is good behavior that is defined by God's character. It stems from who God is. What makes it right is not just that everybody thinks that it's right. What makes it right is God said, this is who I am and this is what is true and right. Many sufferings that the saints experience are those that are brought by their own poor decisions and not by their devotion to the truth of God's righteousness. Oftentimes, the, the things that we get in disagreements with people for are not because we are passionately pursuing Jesus. They're brought about because of the attitudes and actions that we have into this world. Uh, Matthew wanted to explain this a little bit to the church as he tried to edify them in their own suffering. I think it, it, it would have to be a very different thing, I think, to try to pastor a church that is in the midst of intense suffering. 
right? I've pastored a church where there were a lot of people that were either losing their jobs or people that were sick or that kind of thing. But it's, it's another thing to try to pastor church where going like, this week you could die because for no other reason other than the fact that you love Jesus. That would be a very different thing to try to pastor into that and try to offer up encouragement to that. And that's exactly what uh, Peter tried to do as he wrote to the, the churches at large. In 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 12, this is what he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are, there's the word, blessed, happy, one who ought to be congratulated. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is uh, to glorify God in the uh, is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, and it, or if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? If it is with difficulty that the righteous are, is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator, in doing what is right. The reality of suffering of a, of a Christian is something that we should actually expect. If, if it comes upon us, Paul says, don't treat this fiery ordeal as if something strange is happening. That this is actually normal. And you go, what is normal about this kind of suffering? Well, Paul wants to make a point of saying that this kind of suffering is not something that they were pursuing, right? This wasn't them acting in foolish ways to get themselves into dangerous situations. This was them living holy lives, walking in obedience to the commands of Christ in a culture that hates everything there is to be about Jesus, that as they were sharing in the sufferings of Christ, he says, keep rejoicing because there's coming a day where everything that is true, remember we said that righteousness is defined by the character of God, that there's coming a day where the righteousness of God will be made absolutely clear to everybody on the planet that there's nobody that can say, no, that's not what is true. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And some of those who will be on bended knee confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father will be condemned to hell forever. Because at that point in time, their life was revealed that they hated everything that they just had to confess was true. They'll see it and it'll be undeniable and they'll spend an eternity separated from God. 
The truth is that holy living upsets those who are living unholy lives. Holy conduct is an abomination to unholy people. For us to live in the way in which Christ calls us to live, for us to walk in the way in which God calls us to walk, causes us to live in such a way where it stands in absolute and stark contrast to the things of the world. And the the nature of this is that as we uh, walk in our Christian life, as we confess our faith in Jesus, as we live our personal convictions, those things will come into conflict with people who disagree with us, right? Who, who stand in opposition to those things and who not only say, not only is what you believe wrong, we believe what you are believing is now actually evil. And so there's coming a day, and we're already beginning to see some of that step into where it's not us as Christians saying, you have to live this way, you have to change, you have to do that. It's saying, what do you mean that you as a physician are not willing to take the life of an unborn baby? We won't allow you to do that. What does it mean for you as a pastor? What do you, what do you mean you won't ordain a same-sex so-called marriage? What, what does that mean for you, teacher, as you're stepping into a classroom and you're now expected to teach something that you know actually leads people to death rather than to life? Well, in all these cases, we're now going to change the way maybe that legislation works against you and those kind of things. And we begin to see that stuff, but do you see the difference? It's not us imparting things upon them that's, that is a structure, and that's where we feel this tension on. The, the persecution that will come will actually be from us living our own convictions in our own lives in the way that we enact with other people. One of the things that was an a, a early controversy for the early Christians... Um, was the fact that they just wouldn't let babies die. Do you know that? That it was, uh, the, the idea of abortion wasn't really necessarily a thing. There were herbs that they could do and there were physical things that they could do to try to make abortions happen. But when unwanted babies were born, they would literally just take the baby outside the city, set it on the ground and wait for it to dry up and a dog drag it off. And Christians began going and finding these babies and bringing them in. The earliest records of orphanages were Christians that were just finding babies and bringing them together and raising them up to be human beings who knew and loved Jesus. And the Roman government did not like that. That was seen to be a very, very strange thing. One of the things in the early church that was uh, a big deal... Uh, one of the there's actually records of individuals who were what we would in modern day times we would call they were churched. Do you know what I mean by that? They were they were put under church discipline because they would attend the Roman gladiatorial games. And to uh, in their day, right? You, you know, when the Rome wanted to keep people happy, they had two things at their disposal. Anybody know what the the two things to keep the masses happy were? Bread and circus. Bread and, circus, bread and games. Just give the people food and keep them entertained and everybody's happy. And so you did. You received your Roman bread and you went to the games that the Romans put on for you. And to do otherwise was to be seen as unpatriotic. 
you did not love your country. And the church looked at the other believers and said, everything that transpires inside of those walls is against the things of Christ. And we can have nothing to do with it. And so the world, in their day, looked upon the church and said, you're unpatriotic. You don't love your country. How dare you? Because you don't value the things that we value. And so, persecution began to erupt. Not just from the Jews that were looking at the Christians. See, in the early days, remember, the the Jews and the Christians in the eyes of the Romans were the same thing. They were just kind of a sect of the Jews. Remember we talk about Pharisees and Sadducees and these groups of Jews. And then there were these Christians. They were just considered another part of that. And so the Jews wanted to make sure, no, they are not of us. So they began to persecute them. They began to attack them. They were the ones that sent Paul out to go drag them in and with letters of intent to go and pursue these people, right? The uh, aggressive, painful, persistent pursuit as Paul went from city to city and went from Jerusalem and was headed to Damascus to go uh, clap Christians in iron and bring them back for trial. When he was in the process of that, that was a, a Jewish thing. And then it transitioned into, remember, Paul going into places and people were coming to faith in Jesus. And then it became an economic crisis because these Christians are not buying our, our, uh, our little silver uh, idols anymore. And so it became, you know, they, they were uh, seen as being non-capitalistic. Uh, they, were, they weren't at working the economy the way that we wanted to do. And then when it came to the point of Nero... When Rome began to burn, he just needed a, a convenient scapegoat in the midst of that. And he said, well, it was the Christians' fault. They were the ones that do it. And everybody looked at him and said, well, yeah, we don't like them anyway, so I don't understand it. But yeah, to heck with Christians. And let's line them up and let's use them as human torches along the streets of Rome. And this was the picture of persecution. And into this, Peter encourages the church and says, Don't act as if what has happened to you is anything out of the ordinary. But he does have a caveat in there that I think is very beneficial for us in the 21st century. He says in verse 15, 1 Peter 4, verse 15, he says, Make sure. Anytime you read that in the New Testament, we ought to make sure. right? Whatever he's saying, we should pay attention. Make sure that none of you suffers... That's what persecution is. You are in experiencing suffering. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer. Christian, don't kill anybody. All right? I mean, I've thought about it. Jesus said that was murder too. But don't actually do it. That would be a really bad thing. Make sure you don't suffer as a murderer or as a thief. Right? Come on, Christians. Quit stealing stuff. Or as an evildoer, the word that's used there in Greek is a, basically it's a catch-all of criminal. Anything that is felony offense kind of material. Or as a meddler. Wait, what? Your translation might also say, anybody say busybody? The word that is used here is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. And it's the only time we've ever found this word used anywhere in Greek. One time. 
It's a conglomeration of two words together, and it poses a bit of a challenge for interpreters to uh, translate this one word. Uh, and it, the part that's interesting, and I think the reason that he injects this in here is like murder's pretty bad, right? Like, I mean, that's a bad, that's a bad deal. And theft is, I mean, that's a big deal. And anything that's criminal, these are big deals. But meddling? Just being a busybody? And he throws this in right before chapter 5, where he goes in to talk about the elders, the overseers, the, the bishops of the church, the, the church leaders as they were to be there. And the reason that it's so interesting to me is that the root word for meddler is the word episkopos, overseer. And what he's saying is that the beginning of this word, it's, like I said, it's a, it's a conjunction word. There's two Greek words that have been sandwiched together to make one word. And, and the word basically means a pointless overseer. Somebody that is overseeing and they're doing nothing in their overseeing. They're just meddling. They're just gossiping. They're just talking. They're just poking. And he says, make sure that none of you suffers as that, as a pointless overseer. I think Peter's talking about the comment section of every single social media post ever done. That there's Christians that think that this is how I'm going to engage the world. But they don't love their neighbor. Many of them don't actually even love their professed fellow Christian. And he says, make sure that none of you suffers persecution, ongoing, aggressive pursuit, because you're just meddling in other people's lives rather than actually living out a gospel truth in them and calling them to life. <clears throat> it is a, a vastly different thing for us to, as Christians, live in such a way where we are calling people to something that is vastly different than anything that they are experiencing, but we're doing it by definition. Absolutely. When we are... Uh, when we're called to live this way, when we're called to live differently from the world, we need to make sure that what we are doing, what we are calling people to, even the, the tone of which we communicate these different opinions that we have from the world, right? That's all that the world sees it as. They don't see us as us holding truth and them holding falsehood or us holding life and them holding death. They just see us holding as a different opinion, a different idea, and there's tension in that. Let what they see of us not just be us pointing and meddling with their life. Let it be us walking out of holiness in our own life, pointing them to Jesus in humility of ourself. Remember we said that he tied uh, the, the benefit of being persecuted for righteousness sake is that we get heaven. The kingdom of heaven is ours. And he says in uh, verse 3, remember, he said, Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, that we are coming as needy. As we are engaging the world in all of its brokenness, we don't come as the next great Savior. We're not the one that is Jesus. 
We come as one beggar to other beggars, pleading with them to come find bread. Because we know where it is. And we've tasted of it. And it's changed us. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We should not be pursuing persecution for the sake of trying to pick fights and make enemies. One of the things I encourage everybody to do in, in an age where there's so much of ourselves that we post out online is make sure that whatever it is that you're posting, whatever it is that you are sharing, make sure that you are not deriding or demeaning those to whom you are called to share the hope of Jesus with. Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kind of evil against you falsely. Ultimately, if persecution is coming to us as Christian, if, if happy persecution is coming to us, it will because be that we are loving people so well that they just don't actually like it. They're convicted by it. And so they'll say, no, they're not really being loving. And the prayer is that it is false. That's what he says. That they utter all kind of evil against you falsely on my account. They don't really love us. They don't really care about us. They don't really want what's best for us. And if we're living the way that God is calling us to live in this self-giving love that Jesus modeled for us, it will be absolutely false. And he concludes by saying this, rejoice and be glad. If being happy isn't enough, then being in a place where you can rejoice and be glad because your reward in heaven is great. I mean, I think that's probably the most understated thing in the Bible. We have no concept of what that reward is going to be. Right? Just no, absolutely no idea. And he says, For though, so they persecuted the prophets. What were prophets? They were just faithful men and women who God said, tell them this. And they did. That's, that's all that they were. They weren't something special. They weren't something other. They were just faithful men and women who God said, tell them this. And it was interesting is there were a lot of people that were walking around at the same time as those prophets who weren't hearing from God and they were just telling people whatever they wanted to hear. You're over on this side, I'll tell you what you want to hear. You're over on this side, I'll tell you what you want to hear. It is really hard to be a biblical follower of Jesus today. Because if you're a biblical follower of Jesus today, you're probably not going to find a home in very many circles. Everything is so polarized and so, so agitated 
in, in our age of outrage where there's all these things, right? I had a pastor friend uh, um, relay a conversation that he had with a, a Christian teacher. Uh, a Christian teacher said that she had, uh, she had a parent that came up to her very, very concerned, very concerned. Uh, and she said, um, is, is, uh, is our school going to be teaching critical race theory this school year? And the teacher said, well, I'm, I'm not real familiar with that. Uh, tell me what it is, and then I'll tell you whether or not we're teaching it. And the parent couldn't say what it was and walked away. Why are we outraged by things that we don't know? Because somebody told us we're supposed to be outraged by it. We don't understand. You know what I'm outraged by? There's 6,000 unreached people groups in the world today. Millions and millions of people in one people group that are less than 2% gospel believing. I'm outraged by that. There are 3,000 unreached and unengaged people groups, meaning they're less than 2% gospel believing, and there's no significant Christian work happening to engage those people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm outraged by that. And there are a little over 350 people groups that, as far as we know as Christians, have never known one single Christian in the 2,000-year history of the church. I'm outraged by that. There are other things that I think are strange. Political leanings and other stuff like that. But I'm not outraged by those things. Many of them I think are really dumb. And I don't think are wise for us as a country. And I don't think are beneficial for people. And all of those kind of things. But I'm not outraged by those. I'm outraged by the fact that many Christians are so caught up in all of those things and want to be persecuted because of their stance on those things rather than love people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and do everything in their power to live a life that is exemplary and calls people out of death into life. Do you know that for most of the prophets it didn't end well? When we read in Hebrews chapter 11 and it describes this, what we call the, the hall of faith, right? All these believers that believed God and God did this and they walked in this. And then it gets to this, you know, we don't have time to talk about all these things. And it describes many of these horrific events that happened to these people. And a bunch of those were prophets. Probably my favorite prophet is Isaiah. The beauty of the things, the, the vision of Christ that he had before ever meeting Christ is unbelievable. And in his, his uh, just reward of his faithfulness, walking with God and pointing people to Je- ultimately to Jesus, he got sawed in two. That was his, that was his reward. And we're worried that people are going to say not nice things to us. This is not persecution. Let us be careful that what we um, say and do on this earth is marked by a desire for us to live holy lives. Not holiness in the self sense of self-righteousness, 
Because it's not the rich in spirit who inherit eternal life. Those that say, you know what, man, I, I got it all together. You know what, God's lucky to have me. They don't get eternal life. It's the ones that come both to God and I believe to the people in this earth, humbly saying, <clears throat> I tried to do it on my own. I tried to figure it out. I tried my hardest and I found out it wasn't enough. I come empty handed before the, my heavenly father who gives everything to me. And I now come to you not bearing things that are mine, but bearing things that belong to me because God gave them. And I want you to know what they are. And I want you to know the source. I remember several years ago talking to a, an individual in our community that came to get some stuff. And uh, he was uh, rather blasphemous and uh, deriding my position as a pastor and, and situation that we were in. And he just, he said, uh, he said, yeah, man, whenever you get there, you just put in a good word for me. And it was one of those situations where I couldn't, you know, I just, uh, you, you ever finish a conversation, you're like, oh man, I should have said or whatever. It was one of those kind of things and got the things that he needed and got him off on his way. And it just, the Holy Spirit, just the weight on my chest going, Chris, you got to finish that conversation. So I called him up and said, hey, you remember that way you said that? I said, man, I, I really feel like the Holy Spirit was telling me I need to finish that conversation. You know, I'm not going to get in on my own merit, right? I don't get in on my own ticket. I'm getting in on somebody else's ticket. So it's not me putting in a good word for you. I don't have a word to give. It's Jesus only. I've been praying for this individual for 10 years now. That God would do a miracle in their life, draw them to himself. I could have taken all of that as persecution. It wasn't. It wasn't. But my response, whether it was persecution or not, doesn't change. It's still humility. It still should be us pointing people to this blessed hope that is only found in Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you and people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're not blazing a trail that other 
faithful followers of the Lord God have not walked before. God's not calling us to something that is abnormal. He's calling us to simple faithfulness. The joy of uh, the parable of the talents was not that Jesus said, well done, good and successful servant. He said, well done, good and faithful. May our greatest pursuit, whether we walk in times of peace or times of great persecution, be that we walk in holiness and faithfulness. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thanks for the encouragement of it. I pray that it would be a a challenge to us. God, that we do live in a day where we are so tempted to be outraged by things that will be forgotten next year. Some will be forgotten by next week. We're not outraged by things that we ought to be outraged by. God, help me to be outraged by my own sin. Help me be outraged by uh, my indifference to your word, to generosity, to mercy. Help me to be outraged by our church's incomplete response to the Great Commission. Help us to be outraged by things that truly matter. And help us to love a world that does not want to be loved. Help us to be happy in the things that seem like they ought to not make us happy. That we would have your kingdom, your glory, your gospel, and your name at the forefront of everything that we do. We love you, great and glorious God, and we thank you that in Jesus, all of this is yes and amen. We pray all of this in your sweet and precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.